morning. This is Radio Shalom coming to you through Planet FM 104.6. Shalom, Rabbi Rent. Shalom, Ruth. Lovely to be back here with you. And um, we're delighted to have Rabbi Brent in the studio today. And I've asked him to talk about philosophers. And you've just told me you're going to talk about the greatest philosopher the most influential philosopher um, uh, that I think has ever arisen on Judaism, and this is um, uh, Rabbi Moses Ben Maimon, Maimonides, or Rambam, as he's known in rabbinic literature. Right, so you were telling me he lived in? He lived in the 12th century primarily. He was born in 1135. Um, and uh, died in 1204. We talk about important figures and how important he was. Uh, The uh, date and even the hour is recorded of his birth, that that he was born on Passover Eve, um, uh, an hour and three quarters after midday. So it's not often that you know the time of birth of someone who lived that long ago, but here in this case we do. But as you said, he's still alive today. Well, yes, yes. As we open up his books (laughs) and as we engage in his uh, philosophical and halachic writings, then uh, certainly he does continue to live on and continues to have a profound influence on on Judaism today. Could you tell us more about him then from the beginning? Not exactly from conception, but... about his life and times. He didn't have an easy life. No, he didn't have an, an easy life mm. by any means, especially particularly his early life. Um, he was born in, in Cordova, mm. Spain, uh, to um, uh, his father, who was a Dayan, actually the, the leader of the community in, in Cordova. Um, and uh, at the time that he was born, a, a group of um, like the Caliphate of the Almoravids, uh, was in power, and they had a, a um, law that they treated the Jews actually rather favorably. They they didn't persecute them in terms of, of health or wealth. Um, Jews were some of the most influential members of the Islamic courts in Spain. This was a period that scholars understand to be the golden era of Spain that uh, produced some of the most important uh, literary and uh, halachic and, and um, uh, also... Um, poetic works of Jewish history. Uh, you know, think about people like Eben Ezra, who also came out of this era. And, um, uh, and when he was um, a, a little bit older, uh, he was part of this fateful change. Well, the Almoravids um, uh, were overcome by a different Islamic caliphate coming out of North Africa. Uh, that did not have the same policies of tolerance towards Jews and started instituting forced conversions of Jews towards Islam. And in fact, uh, Maimonides and his family were some of those who were forced by pressure to convert. And they fled Cordova and um, for, uh, I believe, nine years, they wandered through southern Spain uh, not really finding a place to settle until eventually they resurfaced in Fez. Um, so you, you think about this this person. Um, so they were wandering Jews. <laughs> the, they were wandering Jews, and, and all of this happened right around uh, the time that Maimonides um, was 13 years old. Mm-hmm. So we think about contemporary bar mitzvah mm-hmm. boys today and, and what they encountered. And, and uh, wow, what a story, huh? But he must have been a very, very intelligent, clever boy for his father to have 
uh, taught him so much or taken him more or less as a disciple. Uh, he, he came from a long, distinguished rabbinic mm-hmm. line. Uh, and in, in um, a place in the Mishnah Torah, one of his works, he actually lists uh, his his line going back four generations. There's a tradition that, that draws his um, line all the way back to Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, who is the author of the Mishnah in the second century of the Common Era. Um, so you know, he's, he certainly got yichus if we're talking about um, uh, that. But but beyond that, his his father had um, a connection through his teacher to um, Rabbi Isaac Alfasi, uh, who is is known as putting the uh, the earliest code of Jewish halachic thought together um, uh, in a written form. In a written form, a way of um, Distilling from the oral Torah the laws that uh, were most essential for Jews to know in order to practice Judaism faithfully in their daily lives. And so while they were wandering, the father was still teaching him. The father continued mm-hmm. to teach him. Uh, his father, um, uh, Yosef ben Maimon, also had... Um, I'm sorry, Maimon ben Yosef also uh, had had written um, some important works of his own. Uh, he wrote an Igeret a letter in order to comfort. Uh, it was a Igeret Nachamun, um, the the Igeret to comfort those who had been forced to convert to Islam, uh, in in which he argued that um, uh, converting to Islam was not equivalent to idolatry in the same way and so it, it would be preferable for a Jew to accept a forced conversion rather than to accept martyrdom which had been the response of Jews when forced to convert to idolatry but because of, of reasons that Islam um, was not uh, in the same class of non-Jewish religions as uh, Roman and, and Greek uh, religion had been that they believed in, in a single God as well in Allah and, and that they uh, also didn't do things like depict God in, in mm-hmm. images. It was, it was kind of in, an, in another class. Um, uh, not to say that the treatment of the Jews was not uh, appalling mm-hmm. uh, and, and hard for Maimonides and his family, but uh, something really remarkable about him, you know, he continued to live in, in the Arab world throughout his entire life, and he never developed uh, any sort of uh, hatred for uh, Muslims generally. He remained accepting of them and interacted with them and worked with them and and was respected by them in his uh, various lines of professional interest. And he spoke Arabic anyway. He wrote in Judeo-Arabic and spoke in Judeo-Arabic Primarily, or Arabic, uh, and you know, probably. Um, so they lo- they landed up in Fez in Morocco. And yes, <laughs> they ended up in Fez in Morocco, uh, and from uh, Fez they um, ended up leaving when a, a scholar there was killed. A scholar who they'd actually gone there to to study with became a martyr and um, ended up uh, getting on a ship and landed in Akko uh, in in Israel. Uh, what was then Palestine, uh, and um, developed relations with the local Dayan there, the local leader of the community, and went on a pilgrimage um, where 
Maimonides and his family uh, went and visited the Temple Mount, for example, and prayed on the Temple Mount, and then visited the the um, tomb of the Patriarch Abraham in Hebron, um, and uh, really um, had a meaningful experience being in the Holy Land. Um, from there, they they but left. They didn't stay. They didn't stay. They didn't mm-hmm. stay. Um, from there, they they left and went to Alexandria. Um, and uh, from Alexandria, well, his father died somewhere in the travel between Israel and, and Egypt. Not sure if he'd actually arrived to Egypt or, or whether he died in Israel, but um, somewhere in between his father died. Uh, eventually, the um, family made it to Alexandria. And then finally, um, after spending a little brief time in Alexandria in uh, Fostat, which is the old city of Cairo. So in, in the older districts of Cairo, where uh, the sultan was centered in Egypt. And there they remained and made a life for them. So when did he start writing? His, his writing really stretches throughout his entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the major works of Maimonides, uh, the early major work was a commentary on the Mishnah which he composed while he was living in Morocco. I guess he brought it all together while he was living in Morocco. He started to write it probably during their wanderings in southern Spain. So all the time he was wandering, he was... Yeah. He still was concentrating and writing. Mm-hmm. But in order to write, he had to read a lot. Yeah, and he lived a traditional lifestyle mm-hmm. and, and uh, observed the, the Jewish Sabbath mm-hmm. and studied and consulted and... and uh, um, you know, we'll talk about other amazing ways that he um, uh, later in his life became a practicing physician and, and practiced in the, the court of Saladin's vizier. So he must have studied it somewhere. Uh, he, he got his medical training while he was in Fez. Um, he right. had studied uh, the Talmud and the Mishnah and, and um, the, these things. Life. In fact, uh, some of his earliest writings, his father wrote a, a commentary on the, the Talmud, um, at least a partial commentary on the Talmud. And he himself, uh, when he was younger, had wrote in comments on several of the tractates of the Talmud. Uh, but it was, it was later while he was living in Fez that he wrote a comprehensive commentary on the, the Mishnah with um, really in, important uh, introductions as well. So what did it actually, um, com- what did it contain, you know, what... Was it sort of an added commentary, or was it summaries? Or it, it it contained a lot of things. I mean, there there, Maimonides wrote in halachic and philosophical realms, and there's inklings of both contained in his commentary on the Mishnah. Um, later, this would be developed into his next two major works, which were not until he was living at this time in Infostat that he composed the um, the Mishnah Torah and the Guide for the Perplexed. Yes, I love that mm-hmm. title. Guide for the, the Perplexed. perplexed. Yeah, the, book that, the book that is called The Guide for the Perplexed, but in fact, if you read it, may perplex you more than you were initially. <laughs> because uh, I think that's what everybody needs today because there's such mm-hmm. a lot to perplex. So what perplexed them then? What was he trying to do? Well, key to understand scholarship in this mm-hmm era in in Spain was um, and in North Africa and in the Islamic world was that um, the Muslims had really 
taken an interest in Greek philosophy and gone to great lengths to translate works of Plato and Aristotle into Arabic and disseminated these works throughout the Islamic world so that uh, many of the dialogues of Plato's and the, the works of Aristotle that hadn't been known to the general world were actually um, publicized by the Muslims. And it was these sorts of philosophical works uh, that were deeply influential to Maimonides. Maimonides was an Aristotelian to his core. So this was when he was in, in Egypt and he was then open to and then it's strange now to think that the Muslims were looking at, at, at other philosophies as well and disseminating it whereas now we feel that they're well this is this is the golden age mm. of Islam as well uh, when you have the, the great caliphates coming out of Damascus and out of Babylon um, and uh, they had they poetry then and they, they invented art, algebra. Uh, yes. They, they refined our understanding of the orbits of the heavenly bodies. Um, the, the contributions of uh, Muslim culture cannot be understated during this period. And um, this is, I think, one of the reasons why when um, uh, we see such distress going on in much of the Arab world, it's... it's um, it's saddening to think that at one period this was the bright shining light um, of the world's academic, intellectual, religious, spiritual, literary culture. I mean, this was all happening at a time when Europe was in the Dark Ages. That's right. Wasn't the first library in Alexandria? I'm not sure if that is the first library. There's the Great Library of Alexandria. There were libraries previously in, in places like Ephesus and in, in, in Greek times. So the library is... And older comes the Library of Alexandria was was renowned but for it was one of the wonders. It was one of the wonders of the world, and, and um, collected that, and mm-hmm. you know and copied and translated many of these works. This was before the printing press, so you know the work of scribes was essentially important. That in order to create a copy of a manuscript, you had to have someone sit down and actually word for word copy out the manuscript onto a new parchment or a new paper. So that's how the Torah got to be written. <laughs> <laughs> yes, even older than that, the Torah. <laughs> and so this was... This well, many, many of the works in Alexandria, the great works of scholarship that were being written were these philosophical mm-hmm. treatises and, and commentaries on these philosophical works. Uh, and um, so he wasn't alone. He was in a whole cultural. No, cer- certainly not. And 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 something that Maimonides actually states is is that um, he didn't feel the need to write directly um, new discussions of philosophy, new advances into philosophy, because he felt that the, the discussion of Aristotle had been more or less exhausted. His principal concern in the guide, which is his primary philosophic text, is to try to reconcile what was known in modern scientific and philosophical knowledge with the knowledge of religion, with the Bible, with statements of revelation. Which is what we're still trying to do. <laughs> <laughs> So, how how was he doing this and living at the same time? 
Well, for his his early life, his he had a brother um, who had become successful as a gem trader and um, uh, supported the family through his successful business ventures. That ended while he was in Fostad in the year 1169. His brother died in a storm on a business trip to India. And uh, on the ship was um, much of the the family's wealth because it had been tied up in these gems that his brother was trading. Uh, for about a year, Maimonides was was completely heartbroken by this uh, and hardly left a bed. And at the end of that year, he made a decision that he would go and, and use his medical knowledge that he had attained while years earlier. He lived in Fez, and he would take up the practice of medicine. Um, and it, it wasn't um, an easy road to go. I think this was uh, 11... 1169, his brother died. It was only by the time that he was 50 years old that he became the physician to the uh, vizier, the the second um, uh, in command to Saladin, uh, whom after Saladin died, uh, became effectively the sultan over uh, Egypt. So he became a court physician. He was a court physician. And all the time writing as well. Uh, he was a court physician. He, it was in this period that he uh, continued his work on his major um, uh, uh, treatises. In, in the year 1200 was when uh, the guide that we've been talking about a little bit mm. was published. So it took that him quite was time. after he wrote about the Mishnah. It was, it, well, his commentary on the Mishnah was earlier in Fez. Mm. And, then, and then later he wrote the Mishnah Torah which is a different work. The Mishnah Torah is his halachic code, um, which is remarkable in its its own right, as well as the uh, Mora Nebuchim, the Guide to the Perplexed. The Mishnah Torah took him 10 years to write and uh, managed to do something that um, only Alfasi had been able to do before him, except he, he... did it better than Alfasi in a very succinct fashion. Did he what? managed to take these essential laws and practices and to distill them into a code that was easy to read. It's praised for its linguistic style as, as being um, uh, as the best piece of Hebrew uh, legal writing since Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi in the year 200. Um, you know, we, we talk about the Talmud. The Talmud has, has 69 tractates in it, 69 different mesachot uh, that comprise its, its six orders. The Mishnah Torah and, and has... And it's a mishmash? Well, it's, it's, it is a challenging work to study, which takes years of discipline and scholarship and knowledge of Hebrew and Aramaic, uh, the ability to interrelate different figures who are discussing across centuries as they're commenting on each other's words. And the Talmud also um, does not often state clearly that the halakha, the ruling follows that this should be the practice or this should be the practice. Um, so you have to figure out between the discussion which authority the, the rule actually derives from. What Maimonides was able to do was to read these sources, the um, 
Talmud, the Babylonian Talmud, the Jerusalem Talmud, the Mishnah, uh, the Sif, works of Sifra and, and um, uh, Sifra, which are commentaries on uh, books of the Bible, as well as uh, the Tosafot, additional materials that were compiled in the writing of these halakhic works. And taking all those materials, he turned it into 14 chapters a Mishnah Torah still a significant body of work, but much, much more concise and much easier to follow than uh, their predecessors. An average Jew could open up to um, a, a section, for example, a section discussing laws of marriage and read very clearly delineated all of the practices that needed to be followed. Uh, this was... Um, uh, so he this, really did a, a compendium of... Mm-hmm. of the different things by putting it together which made it easier mm-hmm. uh, it, so it, he had a logical mind he had a logical right mind he, he wrote an, uh, a treatise on logic as well I should mention <laughs> since you brought that up uh, he was a bit prolific um, th- this this Mishnah Torah that he wrote which uh, was the second of its kind after Al-Fasi became more or less the basis for uh, the Arba Turim the the um, next major work of, of code that was written that was the basis for the Shulchan Aruch uh, that came out about the time of the printing press and, and was the most influential code of Jewish practice ever produced. So Maimonides was a huge influence on these two later works and not only that, his, his Mishnah Torah continues to be um, actually unintended for his reasons of his reasons for writing it it's a a source of study and um some rich commentaries are written on it even today so there's little study circles who are going through his works and adding adding their comments through the centuries absolutely absolutely there's also some uh, interesting criticisms of the mishnah torah his effort to make it as concise as it is um, led him to make a decision that he was not going to include the sources from which he was drawing this particular halachot. It was one of the most serious criticisms that it, it faced. Uh, and, and so he'll give that uh, the, the practice should follow this way, the halacha goes this way, or the halacha goes that way. And he doesn't say where he got this source from, well, where he, he got this decision, or why he decided. Um, but who decides? Because if everybody writes something different, everybody writes their opinion. Who's going to say who is right and who is half right? And well, see, that's the issue, and that's why there's so many commentaries on it, isn't it? <laughs> so who can then give the definite answer? They can't. Hmm. Yeah. That's why it's always in the air. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and uh, it's it is always in the air, and there's a lot more gray than. Um, uh, most Jews today are aware of in, in terms of what is appropriate practice. You know, we look at traditional Jews who observe a, a, a certain halachot and, and there's a lot of merit in, in reading uh, the tradition of Jewish ritual law in such a way. Um, but many times there are minority opinions and alternative practices which have not made it into these codes but then didn't also the culture of the place they were at, like the culture in Egypt would have been different because it was at that stage uh, quite um, quite sort of modern for the times, whereas Israel at that time was not. Mm. 
So that would have been steeped in, in more ancient times as to the philosophies and new ideas that were being mm-hmm. discussed. So didn't that influence what people were writing? Well, abs- absolutely. That um, There is this idea that uh, the minhagim, the local customs of, of whatever place, um, hold validity in halachic argumentation in um, uh, Jewish practice. So that you know, if we talk about the the, the best known example of this is is later in the writing of the Shulchan Aruch, um, Moses Isserlis, a uh, rabbi, came and commented on the Shulchan Aruch, which was written by Joseph Caro, uh, and and said, "You're writing this for a Sephardic, a a world influenced by those Jews that had their roots in the Golden Age of Spain." And it doesn't work in the Ashkenazi world because we have all these customs, these minhagim that supersede some of these practices. So, for example, the eating of kinim, the eating of, of um, legumes, of, of beans mm-hmm. on Passover is a practice that is only found in Ashkenazi circles. And in fact, Israelis came along and wrote a, a commentary on the Shulchan Aruch called the Mapa. The Shulchan Aruch is the, the, the set mm-hmm. table. The mapa, <laughs> cleverly named, is the tablecloth. So he came and he covered the table with additional uh, descriptions of practices that happened in European um, Ashkenazi lands uh, that were not practiced in the same way in Sephardic lands. Um, you know, if we're talking about Maimonides, also Maimonides had different areas where his influence was strong, more strongly felt. Uh, so certainly. Um, areas like uh, Provence in um, in southern France was an area that uh, Maimonides strongly influenced, and um, his, his philosophical works were really key interest to some uh, scholars that were there. It, actually, in Provence, also a century later, uh, following his death, was where this Maimonidean controversy happened. Um, that uh, some of his works were actually burned publicly and considered heresy. Uh, a huge, huge controversy. Um, in uh, in other areas, like uh, in in Yemen, Maimonides was hailed as as Rabbeinu, as as our teacher, in such a way that they added a prayer to their prayer book, praising Maimonides, their teacher. As next to Moses. Well, <laughs> yeah, this was, was also this Moses. was common in the era that you, they had. There's a special prayer in the prayer book praising the the exilarch. Um, the uh, royal descendant of uh, David's line who lived in exile in in Babylon. Um, But to have another prayer of this sort for a specific individual other than the exilarch, like Maimonides, was really uncommon. So how did his work get sort of diffused? As he wrote it there, did he have disciples? Did he have... Uh, students. Mm. There was a... Because he had quite a busy life. He had a busy life. Um, uh, There is a a well-known letter that um, uh, he writes um, in response to um, uh, someone who asked him about his daily life. And he talks about getting up very early because he lives in the old city of Cairo and Fostad and he has to walk a long distance to get to the palace. And then he's in the palace and he's on his feet and he's supposed to see the uh, sultan every day. And then he sees um, anyone in the, the harem that's not well. And then he sees any of the officers that are ill. And 
and uh, finally at the end of the long day he goes and he walks home and then there's a line of people outside his door of, of merchants and of, um, of Jewish um, uh, scholars and and of people wanting to get opinions on all sorts of matters and that they come in his door one after another and he's so exhausted that he has to recline in a bed as each of these individuals comes up to ask him questions and he's answering them. Um, and this so was the he day. was seen as a guru. Uh, yeah, and in in a sense, um, he was someone whose opinion was sought from around the Jewish world. And this was um, a, a, a time we still have today. Actually, a system of um, uh, shelot or chuvot. Uh, we have a system of questions and responses where someone with a particular question about Jewish practice or philosophy or a situation can ask a question, uh, sending a letter. Um, by courier to a uh, particular sage and that uh, if they're lucky that sage will take some time and write a response and uh, he wrote uh, an, a number of these responses all throughout his life and were they kept they were kept <laughs> they were kept if you got a response by Maimonides you better believe you framed that and put it on the wall and so he in his lifetime he was recognized for, for what he was he was doing in his lifetime he was recognized for for what he was mm. doing um, his uh, his halachic work the Mishnah Torah was praised heavily uh, on the other hand um, his philosophical work took a lot of time uh, to actually uh, set in and and many of um, uh, the components of his philosophical thought uh, took a hundred years to introduce and yet today they're virtual. we haven't even gotten into those no we, we will continue this uh, for the next program uh, thank you for listening don't forget to listen next Sunday at 10 past 10 and Rabbi Brent will continue talking about Maimonides <laughs>